0: if a child isn't taught to embrace themselves fully, that they're taught that some of the stuff they do or think or feel is, is not okay, they will start to like piece off parts of themselves and lock parts of themselves away
1: Well, hello, my friend. This is Miriam Shulman, your curator of inspiration, and you're listening to episode number 165 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, we're talking all about allowing in greater abundance. In this episode, you'll discover the relationship between money and the space for magic, why using gratitude to cover up or ignore negative emotions creates toxic positivity, and why it's important to allow back in the rejected parts of ourself. Before I bring on today's guest, I wanted to make sure you knew about my latest free training, How to Sell More Art. During this free masterclass, you'll learn why your success isn't measured by your social media following and what's really going to move the needle when it comes to sales, how to ditch unnecessary social media platforms and get more of your studio time back, and dig deep to go beyond the starving artist mindset to uncover what's really sabotaging your success. If you want to join me, go to choose your showtime by going to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. And now on with the show. Today's guest is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and founder of The Receiving School. This former type A corporate banker discovered there was more to living than making money and left that world to become a certified coach with a master's in psychology. Since then, she's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Daily Worth. Blending brain science and metaphysics, she helps her fellow humans find clarity, focus and inspiration so that they can easily manifest their dreams into reality. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Patty Lennon. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I actually realized I should have said, and welcome back to the Inspiration Play. So you are returning. We're so excited to have you, Patty. You were such a hit the last time you were here.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I love the interview. You are so skilled at what you do, Miriam. Stop. Like I'm good. At you, are. you are. You. I mean, you're good at what you do. Like outside the podcast, but you're really good at hosting guests. Julia. Thank you. I mean it, Miriam. You are the premier example of podcast host. Truly. Thank you. You're the gold standard. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's funny because I put a
1: lot into it as you do as well. You know, when I listen to your show, you you research your guests. I'm sure you've had this experience where you've been on someone else's show and it wasn't that experience at all. And like, oh my gosh, they get the Dundee. Like I told my daughter, like, oh my
0: God, this interviewer, she knew nothing about me. The questions were just so all over the place. It's fascinating because if they don't want to do research, most of us supply questions if you need them. So like, (laughs) like, why why not just follow the script? I I don't know.
1: Well, you know, they're letting in their intuition and their spirit guides. I don't know. Like, okay. That only goes so far, though. All right, but we have a lot to talk about today. So first of all, congratulations on your book, Space for Magic. I absolutely loved it. And you had shared with me that it wasn't a memoir. So I was expecting it to be very prescriptive, but you had such... Beautiful stories woven throughout the book. I really enjoyed that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that was actually really important for me because I read a lot like you do right now, especially for the time we're in to open a book that's nonfiction and have it feel like this job, you know, where you get to the end of a chapter and you have all the stuff you have to do. Yes. I just, I hate those books. <laughs> I hate them. When they get you at the exact right time, they can be wonderful. But for the most part, when I read a book, I want the reading of it to create the transformation. Like I want the work done for me. I don't want to have to do all the work. Right. Like
1: don't give me a worksheet or something now that I read your chapter.
0: Yeah. 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 So I really did want it to be explanatory. I did want it to teach and explain like a linear process on how you open to more space for magic, but I wanted the stories themselves to create the majority of the transformation. I wanted the awareness alone to be the thing that changed for you so that you didn't have to do extra work because that's the whole point of making space for magic is doing less and surrendering more. To these forces that are available to us. So if if you, all of a sudden you open the book and you had to do a whole bunch of stuff, that just seemed wrong,
1: right? Well, good for you. You did a great job. Okay, so I want to start first with what's the the difference between your philosophy and law of attraction. And, and I know there's lots of different flavors of law of attraction. So you may want to start with with defining, you know, what it is that you're talking about too.
0: Right. So there's law of attraction, the pure law. And, and I would say I agree with the actual pure law, but law of attraction's been around forever. And then the pop culture absorption of it and then translation of it, you know, everything in our culture today has to be turned into a three minute bit or, you know, a, one or two page glossy magazine article. And if you can't convey the whole concept in that amount of time, then no one wants it, right? And so what we have today in pop culture is essentially the McDonald's of law of attraction. It's not the really juicy Mm -hmm. stuff. So I think when there's a difference in opinion, it's really, I differ in what the law of attraction is from what is generally taught in the pop culture space. There's a lot of wonderful teachers out there teaching things that I learned it from other teachers, but so the big difference is that law of attractions it's typically taught is a very material focused experience. So there's stuff I want and I can attract it doing certain things, vision boards, visualization, affirmations, and that if what I desire is not coming to me. It's because I'm doing something wrong. So, and I need to do something better. I need to visualize better. I need to vision board better. I need to like get my mind straight. The fundamental belief I have is that the minute you have a desire, the universe starts to meet it. What happens though, is that resistance builds up around us because we've all been taught some version that either it's not good to receive more than you give, or even as much as you give, or we believe that it's not safe for things to come easy, or that you have to work for what you get. And so it's more of these generalized beliefs that hang out in your energy system that block all things. And so the work to do is not to visualize and essentially desire in a better way, in a clearer way. The universe is omnipotent. It doesn't need us to state things in a specific way to get what we desire. It delivers it to us. We just can't let it in the front door if we're in resistance. And so we must learn how to release that resistance. And that's where I differ because what I say is, the big work is releasing that resistance, not figuring out how to tell the universe what you desire.
1: One thing you you talk about early on in the book, which I really love, which is why I highlighted it, was some law of attraction. It's like, well, you know, if something's bad happening. It must be because you're having negative thoughts. Or if you're having negative thoughts, you're going to attract more negativity into your life. You made a very good point of like, uh, no, 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 that's not exactly
0: right. You know, we have a natural... Experience of pain at being human. It's healthy. It's part of, you know, what it means to be here on the planet. Because I believe when we incarnate it, when we took on this human form, we did it because before we were in human form, when we were in whatever place you would equate heaven to being or before birth, there was no limitation. The minute you desire something, it became manifest, right? And so you become human so you can experience that contrast, but that contrast creates pain. Your brain requires processing. You need to experience and move through the pain and process it to release it. When you are told that you need to push it away because if you're positive, that's what makes your life good, what actually happens is you add to that field of resistance I talked about because you're not actually clearing it, it's there. And now you're using part of your energy to push it down. And that pushing down or pushing away is also pushing away all the gifts of the universe. And just from a pure psychological standpoint, it is very unhealthy to criticize yourself for having natural negative emotions. It's dysfunctional on a very pure level. A lot of the spiritual work these days, a lot of the law of attraction work Tries to bypass natural emotions. You know, they call it spiritual bypassing, but when you try and jump over natural psychological processes that humans go through, you are not going anywhere that the universe desires for you. You know, the universe loves you. The universe holds you when you're down. It doesn't punish you. That's where I kind of come from on that.
1: Just from like a brain science point of view, I know that emotions are something that we feel in our body and that we actually have to go complete that cycle. It's almost like emotions are like you're going through a tunnel and you have to go completely through the tunnel to get to the other side. I think you say this in your book, but I know Pima Trojan says this also, like you only feel, let's say, anger for 90 seconds. But what keeps us feeling angry for hours is we keep ruminating on the same thoughts. And if we were just to allow ourselves to feel an emotion, process the emotion, we go through that emotion much faster.
0: Yeah. I mean, that you said it perfectly. I think the big question that people have is, okay, if I set my timer for the 90 seconds, right, right, and I feel that emotion, it doesn't always end. And what I try and help people understand is what happens is, let's say someone says something to you in passing. They're not even being intending to be mean, let's say, but it hits you the wrong place, right? And you feel dismissed in what they say. Like I have a book coming out right now and someone goes, well, it's different for you. You have a book. That just hits me because I feel dismissed in the level of effort it took to create it. Most of that is happening up in my head. But... I could breathe and like just feel the the sort of like dismissive energy I felt for them. I could feel disrespected. So you breathe through it, you feel hurt, you feel angry. If you let that go without another thought inserting itself in the process, it really will end at the end of 90 seconds. But most likely what happens in the process of that, allowing that energy to flow is you think a thought of, well, you know... When they went on and on about getting their new dog, I listened to everything they had to say. They don't ever give me the kind of time that I give them. Well, now you just started another 90-second process. And so what's confusing for a lot of people is, yes, it can go on for a really long time. But what you have to understand is it's not a single emotion that's going on for hours or days. It's actually a whole chain of 90 second experiences. Right.
1: Or you start thinking they shouldn't have said that or they shouldn't have
0: done it. So now you're arguing with reality, which never goes anywhere. And Right. And then that would be the place where I'd say you don't want to engage that. That's what I call the dirty pain. So there's clean pain. Someone said something, I feel hurt. Then the dirty pain is what comes when you start adding story to it that is not based in reality. And you manufacture emotions. The manufactured emotions are the ones that will start attracting negativity to you. So it's not that that idea that negative stuff can attract, you know, negative thoughts attract negative things. It's just you have to really understand there's types of negative thoughts. Some are good and healthy psychologically and some are not.
1: Tell us about why you can't cover up this pain with just feeling grateful. Like, you know, I have a flood in my basement, but I should be grateful that I have a house. Like tell us about like why that doesn't really work or am I wrong? It should
0: work it really doesn't work. Now, there's times where it will help you move out of like, if you get into that cycle of like, shoulds and dirty pain, and you're creating a lot of gunky energy for yourself, shifting your attention to something you can appreciate will help you will help you shift out of it. So again, there is value in that. But generally speaking, we are taught to dismiss discomfort In favor of gratitude and and what you just said, like my basement's flooding, but I should be grateful that I have a house, right? What that does is it dismisses an actual real life experience that you're having. And you deserve to have that experience because if you can just have it in the moment, you actually could get to an authentic place of gratitude, right? If you could let that come through your life and allow. the reason I'm even more pushy about, you know, allowing yourself to have that my basement's flooding pity party is because inside of that may be something you need to uncover. When you're the type of person that's like, well, my basement's flooded, but I'm lucky to have a house. So now I'm going to jump into action and figure out how to fix it. Everything falls on your shoulders. But when you can allow yourself, like as a child, think of a child whose, you know, ice cream just fell in the sand. They've let themselves experience the disappointment and the loss and the grief over that. That allows them to be then cuddled or taken care of. But if they were like, Oh, it's okay. Let's just move on. A grown up in their life probably isn't going to really have the access point to even give them some comfort. It's the same thing for us that when something difficult happens, the universe, the divine wants to comfort us, but we have to create space for that. And it's being comforted in the difficulties, especially when the difficulties are minor because a flooded basement sucks, but it is minor. But when we start to understand when difficulties happen, there is this loving force that will sweep in and comfort us. Then when something really big does happen that scares us in a really fundamental way, we've built up these experiences of trust that there's this loving force there to comfort us and it's not all on our shoulders. And my experience is that if you don't allow those small things to open you up to that help, the things getting bigger and bigger and bigger because the divine is going to keep delivering to you these experiences that ultimately put you on your knees, not to punish you, but because it's only when something becomes so big that you literally can't physically do it yourself that you then go into surrender. But if you can surrender at a much earlier point, everything is just a lot easier.
1: One thing I I love that you talk about, I talk about it as well in my own community, but in, in a slightly different way is not acknowledging desire. The way that I've seen it in my community, especially among women, I feel women have been socialized not to desire sex, not to desire power, not to desire money. I know that wasn't a point in your book, but one thing that you said, which I loved, and I'm going to quote you. So, quote, when we refuse to acknowledge what we truly want because somehow we are wrong for wanting it, That is what leads us to feel bored, uninspired, and even worse, angry and resentful, end of quote.
0: Yeah. I know there's a lot of cultures that kind of raise their kids to be humble, to not want for things. I was raised Irish Catholic, and there is some hardcore pride in deprivation. you know, like we are taught to like hold up these like impoverished humans that give up, you know, they're walking through the world with sackcloth and you know begging for alms and whatever is like the extreme or a premier expression of the divine in human form. The reality is every desire inside of you is a divine expression. There are some ego desires that come from greed, that come from insecurity. I'm not talking about those, although they need to be explored at least so you can understand what you truly want. But there is just these things inside of you that the divine planted with your help before you came into human form because it said, I want to see what it looks like for a straight-laced Irish Catholic to, you know, want to be a millionaire, right? Or whatever it is. And and it's part of the plan, right? But so often, especially like you said, I see, you know, the majority of I would say my people, my readers, partly because who I am, I'm a 50-year-old woman, are middle-aged women. And we really have just been socialized that our role is the effect we have on other people. Our value is what we bring to other people. And what comes from within is like insignificant. And there's a whole bunch of middle-aged women that are bored, resentful, angry, and they don't know why. And the majority of people will tell me, I don't even remember how to have fun anymore, Patty. I don't even know what makes me happy.
1: Okay, so we're gonna, by the way, link to the last episode you're on. And in that episode, do you remember we both said like, if there's anyone under 50 listening to this, please reach out to me. All the 20 something year olds came out of the woodwork and they were messaging me, I listened to the show and I actually have clients in their 20s now and in their 30s. So just so you know that like that was a limiting belief I had. That kind of brings us to allowing in those rejected parts of ourselves. So maybe the parts of ourselves we've labeled as greedy or lazy or our 20-something-year-old self who we've rejected. And I know that's a very important part of your work with receiving is reintegrating those rejected parts of ourselves back in. Can you talk about that and maybe share a story about allowing back in a rejected part of yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this rejected self work was something that I first learned when I was getting my master's in psychology. And so there was this theory. It was a really obscure theory that wasn't spoken to. It it dates back early 1900s, 1906, but it informs a lot of the current psychological theory we use. And at the heart of it is this idea that if a child isn't taught to embrace themselves fully, that they're taught that some of the stuff they do or think or feel is, is not okay, they will start to like piece off parts of themselves and lock parts of themselves away. In order for a human to be fully psychologically healthy, take the metaphysics off the table, to reach self-actualization as Maslow's hierarchy of needs like, shows us, that they need to fully embrace all parts of themselves. And so there's a lot of speaking to that, but then there's not a lot of description of like, but how? How does that work? And so part of it is understanding that there's pieces of you listening that you've locked away that look nothing like anything anyone else has, right? They're very individual pieces. But in the book, I speak to parts that generally for like 95, 98% of the population all of us are taught to reject these pieces of ourselves. And so one of them that I talk about is the lazy self. So if you think of it, if I was to say, you know, hey, how do you feel about the word lazy? Most people would say, I never want to be called lazy, right? We all unilaterally think that's not a good thing. But what happens as a child is we label a lot of behaviors lazy that are actually just healthy understandings of when we need rest and when we need pause and when we need retreat. And as children, we really don't get those signals very clearly. And as your mind is developing at a small age, you know, four, five, six, seven, you don't have. The nuanced structures that you have when you get older in your brain, meaning a four year old might say truck for cars and front loaders and construction equipment. And when they get older, it's when they start to understand there's construction equipment and then there's small trucks and there's big trucks, right? Well, the same thing happens for lazy. If they see someone laying on the couch, maybe an older sibling and the parent goes, stop being so lazy, they don't have a way to understand that that same person has been laying on the couch for weeks on end. They equate to being on the couch resting as lazy. And so the part of you that wants to do that then gets locked away as a child, because what you desperately want is your original tribe. And I don't use that in an appropriate way. I mean that back our minds going back to tribal times we desire to stay a part of the tribe and for most of us that's our family of origin so what does it mean to be an accepted part it means not being lazy which means not laying on the couch fast forward you become an adult and you're inevitably say you know i feel so tired all the time i feel overwhelmed you try to rest but you feel fidgety you feel uncomfortable that's proof that you've locked away the wisdom the natural wisdom you have to rest Because being a healthy participant in your family of origin meant you weren't lazy. And as a small child, you locked up the idea that laying on a couch meant lazy.
1: So I actually have been through Patty's Receiving School. The book is a beautiful compliment to it because, I I mean, you do get the philosophy in the course, but somehow I got it more clear in your book. But one of the things I really liked in the course was the meditation you did, which brought us up and down an elevator. And as doors open, we were inviting these other parts of ourselves onto the elevator with us, which I take it to me now is really reintegrating these rejected parts of ourselves that we had. And I found when I did that work, that was probably the most powerful work that I did as part of your program. I really liked that.
0: Mm. I love that. And I've heard that from so many people. And I think it's partly because, you know, as someone who was a type A person and really likes facts and I like data points, a lot of the learning I did in the metaphysical and personal development world was very soft and ungrounded in like getting underneath, like, what's the theory here? And as I started to do my master's in psychology and I got this piece of the puzzle, to me, this was that how like how do i feel whole how do i feel complete you know then taking in metaphysical training and blending it with like how our brain actually works to me it was a missing piece for me and i and i do find that having a how to get to that rejected self does make a big difference
1: absolutely i'm going to skip a little bit one of the most touching parts of the book There's actually two stories I absolutely loved. So the first one we'll start with because I I just I guess you just can't have any kind of manifestation conversation without decluttering. Would would you agree with that? So true. (laughs) Okay. So true. That story you told about your client was a laugh out loud moment. So Patty has a story about you know, there's one thing to cluttering stuff and then how it's even harder to let go of things we don't like. Why don't you share that story? Cause I think it's fabulous.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Mary had this horrible vase from like her that they got at their wedding from her mother in law. You know, when we were going through a piece of the process in the receiving school, which is where you kind of scan for like what's holding energy that can block stuff. This came up, but she was like, I can't, I can't let it go. I'm like, "But well, what if you did? Like, what if you did? And then when she finally was able to talk to her husband about it, he admitted that like he hated it too. And What was so funny
1: is that she said she got rid of it and you said, do you feel better? I just like, no, not really. And you're like, well, wait, did you get rid of it or not? And she's like, no, no, actually I just put, I just hid it. <laughs> Like it was still in her house. Like she just like hid it in a cabinet. So of course she still felt bad because the clutter was still there. And then she had the conversation with her husband to actually get rid of the stupid vase. So that was so funny. Yeah, Patty. I I
0: I totally screwed the pooch on that, telling that story. So thank you. Thank you for stepping in and helping me, Miriam. (laughs) No, no, I'm sorry. You know, you know, it's interesting because like
1: now that I'm writing my book, I totally get like when I used to have authors on and I would ask them questions and they didn't know what I was talking about. Like I was like pulling out this like little detail, like on chapter six or whatever. And they didn't know what I was talking about. I was like, well, I would say, well, did they ghostwrite it? Like what the heck? But now that I'm writing my own book, I don't remember what I wrote in chapter six. You know, it's like, I wrote so much. Did I say that on the podcast? Did I put it in the book? Did I just tell my sister that story? Like, I don't know what I put in the book anymore. There's like, it's such like a mountain of of stuff, so.
0: It is. And now you're going to see as you're writing it, like there's about a 100,000 words that didn't make it into the book. So right. like, it's so you don't like, know, did that get in or not? There were, few, right. there were a few declutter stories and you're like, oh, that, and I'm like, oh God, I already remember which one made it into the book. So. <laughs>
1: okay, so I will queue you up for the next one the next story to make sure i don't have to tell your story thank you so the, the next thing was about allowing in spiritual guidance and following your like those intuitive hits and you told a beautiful story about stopping at a farmer's market to buy
0: flowers yes and that's a story i've actually told from many stages so that when i have like it's nailed down After my mom passed away, which my mom's passing was, was a pivotal experience in me unlocking a lot of what I teach. So after my mom had passed away, I just felt like I needed to go on some type of retreat. I had saved a voicemail from her and I knew I needed to let it go, but I needed some process to get to a place where I could actually delete it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to follow intuition. And I pulled out of my, house and I knew I was gonna be going to this retreat center that was about an hour and a half away. And then I find myself like wanting to drive this other way. And all of a sudden I end up in front of this hospital where she was treated. So while she was getting her cancer treatments, I live in Connecticut. So there's Yale New Haven. There's a couple of there's Sloan. So we were in a couple of different places throughout her treatments. I end up in front of Yale New Haven and I know I'm just supposed to sit there. So I I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden, I just feel parts of myself returning to me. And I'm like, oh, I was here to take back something I left. And then I'm ready to go now, I think. But then I see, no, you're not supposed to go yet. I can feel like don't go yet. And I feel myself being called across the street. And there's a farmer's market. But it's raining. And I'm like, really? And if you've ever been to Yale New Haven, like parking's a nightmare. And I'm like, oh my god. like I'm having all these thoughts. But I'm like, stop. You promised yourself you'd just follow intuition, inspiration. So I park, I get out, I'm walking in the rain through this farmer's market and I suddenly see a flower stall and I know I'm supposed to buy flowers. So I go to the flower stall and I'm like, oh, Jesus, why am I? Do I really need to buy flowers? I'm like negotiating with myself and I'm like feeling like I should knowing that it's like in this, this summer. So I know by the time I get to this retreat center, it's going to be hot. These flowers are going to be sitting. Why am I buying these flowers? Whatever. I buy the flowers and I realize based on the interaction I'm having with the person that they're autistic. And they're really struggling. And then they go on to tell me how much the sale meant to them. And I'm like, oh, I was actually here to be a customer for this person. Like, It's not all about me. Look at that. <laughs> and, and he's this lovely, lovely man. So I go and I'm feeling very, very proud of myself, if we have to be honest. <laughs> and I go back to the car and the flowers are there. I get to the retreat center. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm supposed to take these flowers in with me. And I'm like, sweet Jesus, now I've got to be on my personal retreat where I'm I'm going to delete, where I'm going to have this profound time of deleting this final message from my mother. And now I got to drag some flowers around with me. And I walk into the retreat center and the woman, the host. Who actually made an exception? It's a retreat center where you have to stay overnight, and she came to meet me, and she was just so lovely. And before I even knew it, I'm handing her the flowers. Like my my body is like moving to, and I was like, "Oh, these flowers were for her." And I said, "I just want to thank you for having me here." And she's like, "Oh my goodness, no, thank you. That this was a sign." So she walks away. And I'm sort of discombobulated even in the whole exchange. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking down the hallway and she's calling to me. And she was like, please wait. She comes up to me and she goes, I just saw the, the label on the flowers and it was flowers for autism. So it's an organization that creates jobs for autistic people. And she goes, my two grandchildren have autism. And I've been praying for a sign that they'll be okay. Okay. And it was it was the most amazing experience. And there were so many times where logic could have stopped me from walking that journey. And when I got back home, I realized that that morning, sorry, (laughs) I guess I haven't told this story this way. Patty and I are both crying
1: just for my listeners, just so you know, like Patty's not the only one who's crying. And I think because I'm crying, it's like she's like it's a, giving her permission to cry <laughs> yes. even more. Just so you know, we're, we're both a mess right now. Like, it's such a beautiful story,
0: Patty. Go ahead. Just take your time. Take your time. Take a deep breath. So, you know, I get back home and I remember that that morning I had asked my mom to be with me and to show me that she was there so that I would know I didn't need that message from her. Cause I knew it was keeping me stuck listening to her human voice over and over again when that just didn't exist anymore. And I realized as I went through the events of the day that that was my mother, that she would have been the one to stand in the rain, to buy flowers from someone that needed the sale, and that she would have been the one to bring comfort to someone that was worrying about her grandchildren. And each piece of the puzzle was just an aspect of the best of my mother. It was just the most profound sense of comfort in that one day. And so many times, my logic could have overrid any of those experiences. So many times, my logical mind could have short-circuited all the miracles that were happening. But just letting go and surrendering to what was happening revealed all of this beauty and impacted not just me, gave other people miracles along the way. And I think that's the best of surrendering to this magic is so often we think it's going to be selfish, that taking care of ourselves then is going to negatively affect other people. But when we allow ourselves to be guided... What ends up happening is so much more miracle and magic can be worked through us.
1: That's so beautiful. We're, we're both going to take a moment here <laughs> before we continue. <laughs> I think this is a good place though for us to wrap up. I want you to know that of course you can get Patty's book, Make Space for Magic on Amazon. And if you want her book bonuses, which are amazing, you can go to pattylennon.com forward slash make space for magic and either order it on that page or if you've already bought an Amazon, there's a place for you to put in your receipt information so you can get that bonus. We've included links to all these places in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 165. Don't forget, if you like what I share on the show and you want to sell more art, it feels so weird saying that right after we've had this deep conversation. It's not selfish to want to desire to sell your art. You're helping the world with your beautiful art. The world needs our beauty right now. Yes. So you can check out my free training. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. All righty, Patty. Do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete?
0: All I'll offer you is that you deserve to have magic moving in your life and you can be gentle and kind to yourself. It's the fastest and easiest way to make space for magic.
1: So beautiful. Thank you so much. So make sure you hit the follow or the plus sign in your podcast app. And if you are feeling extra generous, why don't you share this episode with a friend? They'll be glad that you did. Okay, my friend, thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired.